Welcome to an exegetical study of biblical scripture. This scripture is God's speech, God's story, written through the hands of men by his spirit, and it's all about God's glory. My name is Bryce Ferguson. Join me now as we go into the word. This is Genesis. Welcome, brothers and sisters. This is Into the Word, and my name is Bryce Ferguson, and I'm so fortunate to be kicking this off today on January 1st. I'm also very privileged to feel called by God to preach the gospel, to preach his word, to preach Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world for all mankind, for any who would believe to receive salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. I have been, by God's good grace, a Christian, I will say practically all of my life. I cannot remember a time when I did not believe in Christ, for I was raised in the Christian Protestant church with two Bible-believing, Christ-affirming parents. And I'm very honored that the Lord approached me in this way from a very young age. I know everyone has a different story with church and with God and with faith and at different ages in their life, and I've been very privileged. I also want to say here at the onset that I will be preaching from the English Standard Version of the Bible, so as I read the scriptures, you may have a different translation, but it's important, regardless of which translation, to find a translation that is prudent and that is full of integrity, and you can tell from the Holy Spirit, if there is a loose version that you are reading. There are some loose ones out there, and I won't go into this right now, but there are some that are more exact phrase-for-phrase translations from the original Hebrew and Greek into our modern-day English language than others. So seek that out and keep your Bible close. This is the Word of God for us on earth. This is our connection to God. This is the word of God to us. And your Bible, this Bible, this holy scripture is incredibly important every single day of your life. You need to know the word of God. It's that important. It's that important for me. It's that important for you. The world is dark, folks. The world is full of darkness. And the world is full of light, but it's not completely full of light. There is light here and there is light there. And as God is moving and as the Holy Spirit fills people and the Holy Spirit acts and people embrace faith in God, there is light. But other than that, the world is full of darkness. And we need the reminder. We need to be in the word of God. We need to be in prayer because we need to be reminded of God. 
We need to be reminded of truth. We need to be reminded about Jesus Christ sent to earth for us from God to live as a man. We just celebrated Christmas to be born as a human being, to be born as a human man, to live a righteous life, to show us the way, to die on a cross for us because we could not reconcile ourselves to God the Father. We needed Jesus Christ. And he died willingly and he rose victoriously and he reigns forevermore at the right hand of God the Father, forever be praised, Jesus. So we need to be in scripture and we need to be in prayer. In prayer, this is our conversation with the Lord. We read his word to hear from him. And sometimes we hear from him in other ways, but predominantly and prominently, we hear from him through his word. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, dividing even to tendon and bone and marrow. You read the same scripture on different days or at different times or in different weeks or in different months or different years, and it hits you differently. It hits you with this freshness, with this energy, with this Holy Spirit movement. Why? Because the Bible is the word of God. And prayer is our conversation, our initiated conversation back to the Lord. And I will tell you this, sometimes if you are absent for, the, for what to pray for, I invite you to pray the word of God aloud back to God. People ask, why would you do that? Because you are affirming God for who he is by holding up high his word and saying, God, I believe this. I worship you in this. I acclaim you in this. I praise you in this. This is your scripture and I hold it high. I believe one of the ways God feels most affirmed in our prayers is when we hold his scripture high, when we pray his scripture aloud. This is beautiful to him. This is affirming to him. This is worshipful to him. He receives the praise and the honor and the glory. So mankind was lost without God. Was mankind ever lost? Was mankind ever truly without God? No. For God has always been. God is always here. But mankind has set themselves, all of us in many ways, to seek for meaning and fulfillment and purpose in almost anything else besides God. And God saw this. And God knew this before the foundation of the world. Before Genesis, he knew men's minds and men's hearts. Folks, he didn't just know you before you were born. He knew you <laughs> from eternity past, if you will. That's somewhat of an oxymoron because eternity is outside the realm of time. And all we know as humans is time. But God dwells outside of time. God dwells in eternity. God has always been. God will always be. And God is. I am. That is his name for himself in Exodus. 
to Moses at the burning bush, I am, I am. And later Jesus would affirm that during his trial, before his crucifixion, when he was before the council, before the high priest, before Pilate and Herod, and he said, I am. This is who God is. And God knew mankind would struggle with sin, give in to sin, surrender to sin, that the darkness would be so great that God needed to rescue us. And every time we read his word, and every time we pray in God's name, we lift him up. And we are about light and not about darkness. See, there's two ways. And there's only two ways. There's light and there's darkness. Jesus prominently is throughout the scriptures, folks. Not just in the Gospels, not just in the New Testament. He is throughout the Torah. He is throughout Genesis, the beginning. He is throughout the prophets. He is, yes, explicitly in the Gospels. And he is in the epistles. And he is in Revelation. Jesus, our Savior, is all throughout the scriptures of the Holy Bible. And it's with that, let's go to prayer and begin. Great and mighty God, holy, holy, and set apart. Great are you, creator God, lifted up among your people in this earth, celebrated, worshipped, adored, loved. Teach us, God, to love you more. Teach us to hold you in the place that you deserve to see you for who you are, to honor you as king and creator of all things. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, please open it to the very beginning. It's probably a few pages in, or if you're on a digital version of the Bible, this will be Genesis 1. Just the first few verses of Genesis 1 today. Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So what do we know from these first two verses about the beginning? God was already there. Normally in stories that you read to your children or stories that you read in a book, there is a beginning, there is an end, there is a start. There is a starting point, a jumping off point, and then you are introduced to the main characters. This is not the case in the beginning. In the beginning, God was already there. God also created the heavens, which are named here first, and the earth, which is the only planet where mankind has ever lived. It also says it was dark. The Bible here says specifically void and without form. What else do we know? 
We also know God's spirit was there. It says the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And the language here is different than verse 1 that says God. We see in verse 2, it says the spirit of God. So let's contemplate one thing for a moment. In point one, God was in the beginning, yes. And God was also, as I've said, already there. Meaning, God is and God was before the beginning of Genesis 1.1. He existed prior to that. So we talk about Genesis 1.1 as the beginning. But if he had not been there already, then he could not have created the heavens and the earth. So my mind asks, what was before the beginning? What happened before Genesis 1-1? All we know is God was. Or in the ever-present descriptor, let's say that God uses of himself in scripture, not just past tense, not future tense, neither alone, but always present tense, God says of himself, I am. So I am was already before the beginning. There is, folks, no one else who has this distinction. God dwells outside of time. He is not limited by our constraints. He created time, and he created our constraints. So from that we know God has no limit. No limit and no limits. This is a completely wondrous and foreign concept for humanity. I think the closest we get to this concept is blockbuster movies, or I would say like a fanatical movie, something that's on the fringes, representing, you know, superhuman or human, an alien that does something humans could never do. That's why it's superhuman, or that's why it's an alien movie. And that's why in a movie, or in other words, it's so far-fetched that it's completely false. Okay, it's not real. But what we have to start understanding about God is he is absolutely different than us in distinction. He does not dwell in time. He does not dwell in constraints. Humanity is all about constraints, if you think about it. There are boundaries. There are rules. There are laws. And I'm not just talking social laws. I'm talking about like the law of gravity. We are bound. We are constrained. There are limits. God did not read a history book written in a specific time to tell him what happened before. And there, therefore, he lives in light of that history book. No. God was and is first before everything else that we know. Everything from the beginning forward, everything that is the story of mankind, if you will, but even our concept and our, our, our capacity for knowledge and learning and, and history and science and math and literature, all these things. God was before all that. God was before every planet you learn about in science, every scientific pursuit, the laws of mathematics, the rules of mathematics, philosophy. Archaeology, he was before all of that. 
God is absolutely separate and God is absolutely set apart. There's no one like him. You may hear people of other faiths or people talk about false gods, I will say, or people talk about those who are actually demons with claims of the supernatural. We read stories in the Bible about other people who are doing magical arts or magical works outside of the God of the Bible because they are pursuing a demonic God or a false God or an idolatrous God with claims of supernatural works. But there is absolutely no one, false God, idol, anything, who's created all of this, who established time, who made all this from nothing, who firmly holds the permanent God position, God stands alone. And my mind wonders, there are dynamic stories, there are dynamic events in our life or around the world. Consider a great storm, consider, consider a volcano erupting, consider an earthquake makes a lot of noise or like a the destruction of a skyscraper like when they you know intentionally demolish it because they're going to build something else it's powerful right it's big makes a lot of noise how about when god created earth what kind of power what kind of sound was involved in this this planet 5.9 quadrillion Kilograms. Imagine the power from God in creation. God is a God of power. He created the heavens. Now, this could mean his new dwelling place specifically, or it could mean the galaxies of stars, the universes, or both. Scholars seem a little at odds, but it could be either. It could be both. But what is clear is God is the one who created them. God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens first, it says, at least in order there, and the earth. Scripture does not hold back that at the start of creation, it was dark. God was there. And the spirit of God was there. And as I've said, those two are separate, as they are mentioned. And we also learn through scripture, who else was there? In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, John writes of who else was there. He says, in the beginning was the word, capitalized, a pronoun. The word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So what do we know already from verse 2? The word is not the printed word, specifically what it's talking about here. As the word of God in the Holy Bible is, yes, the word of God, we're talking about a different word. Or verse 3, rather. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, verse 5, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light 
that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. For those folks who know the story, and we just celebrated Christmas, you would be familiar with the language here. That all of this is talking about Jesus Christ. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whomsoever would believe in him, believe in him, would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Jesus was at the beginning. And, as John 1 says here, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So God the Father, the Creator, Jesus Christ, the Creator. And in addition to Jesus' acts of creation, he carried what is quintessentially true of God in John 1.4. It says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So when Jesus is life, just as we all know there's no life apart from God, what does light do, folks? One more verse in verse 5, light shines in the darkness. In verse 5, in paraphrase, I would say, darkness does not win. It will not win. Darkness is used here signifying evil and everything that evil stands for, namely Satan. So let's go back to Genesis 1-2. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So now with this tension, let me draw a separation. Darkness does not always describe something wrong or evil. It is often used that way in Scripture, as I just said in John, but I don't want to say that darkness is always that way, and it's not always used in Scripture for that purpose or meaning. For the nighttime hours, we have in every 24-hour period. There are hours when most people sleep. There are hours of time. There are hours when you can clearly see into space and see the stars on a clear night, if you're in that part of the world. And some parts of the world have more clear nights than others. But you can't see any of that during the day because the light is too bright. And that's not bad. This darkness is a rhythm established by God. And we'll get to that. But darkness can convey an absence of visibility, direction, 
and order. And I believe that is what verse 2 is saying, because this wondrous and beautiful creation takes a powerful turn in verses 3 and 4. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And he's referring, of course, to the powerful light of the sun in our solar system, which God created. And then at that moment, our solar system was illuminated. It also makes me think of Jesus' words in John 8, 12. Quote, again, Jesus spoke to the scribes and the Pharisees at the temple, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, Jesus gives credit to the world's rhythms of light and dark. And I think he's using it both ways there. Something that everyone can relate to and also something that everyone can relate to if they stop and think about it. The prominent darkness of the evil and the discord in our world. He affirms too that in God is light or goodness, holiness. Those who do not walk in God, who do not follow God, who do not practice godliness are lost in darkness. Even though the sun may be shining that day. Even though the sun may be shining most days, the person walks in darkness. For those who do not seek God, the light of the world, folks, they're by default in darkness. You see, there's no middle ground. I think one of the great deceptions of the evil one is that there's a middle ground. I think many people presuppose that they're neither spiritual nor they're bad. You know, they're not bad. So they're fine. They're neutral. They're trying to be, I'm sure you've heard it, quote unquote, good people. But to the author and the creator God of all things, Father God, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, plainly I'll say it. You either submit your life to God or you are against God. You're opposed to God. Those by default who do not seek God or submit to God by choice are of Satan. For Satan stands opposed to God and to the things of God. And if you oppose God or you choose to abstain from the option of God or Satan, say you look at it as, as two, but you're in the middle ground, no, you're following the ways of Satan. It's in this great moment of discussion. It's in this great illustration of a cataclysmic divide, which Jesus profoundly speaks and says, I am the light of the world. The people have walked in ignorance, if not evil, at some point. All people are possibly for most of their lives, and to them, Jesus says in John 14, 6, there is only one way to life. And Jesus says that he is the way. All other ways are of darkness and lead to darkness. I'm sure you've also heard people say there are many ways to heaven. There are many ways to heaven. But that is false. That is heresy. That is a lie. There, of course, are 
many deceivers and many false religions promoting the feelings of paganism and worldliness, that you say that you deserve to be wealthy, you deserve to be happy, achieve emotional transcendence, to be the best you, to find yourself, to find all the answers within, to have the perfect marriage, have the perfect kids, perfect job, have the perfect life. And all of these, in that way, are alive from the pit of hell. You see, you may have heard of Satan in Sunday school. You may have seen him portrayed in a movie or read about him portrayed in a book. And that may not have been the true picture of the evil one, of Satan. The name of Satan means deceiver. He deceives Adam and Eve in the garden. That's who he is. He always works in deception. Jesus also says of Satan in John 10, 10, Satan is a thief, quote, who, quote, steals, quote, kills, and, quote, destroys. So we have deceiver, thief, murderer, and destroyer. So if you now think again about those who say you deserve to be wealthy, you deserve to be happy, have emotional transcendence, perfect everything, and you see how nobody on our planet can even have these things, or perhaps has wealth, but does not feel fulfilled. Most people with wealth still do not feel fulfilled. Most people who are chasing something with reckless abandon still do not feel fulfilled when it's apart from God. You see, this all is the work of Satan promoting the great lie. In the temptation of Jesus in the Gospels, Satan tempts Jesus three times in the desert. After 40 days of fasting, that Jesus fasted in the desert. Satan tempts Jesus three times with lies quoting scripture, but he's misquoting it and he's conniving it and he's bending it to try to deceive Jesus. And one of them, he takes Jesus up on a high point and he says, all the kingdoms of the earth I will give you if you bow the knee to me. And Jesus casts him away and calls him out every single time for his lies. See, this is what Satan so prominently pushes in each person's life on earth. You can have the kingdoms of the earth in whatever capacity that is. And for most people, it's a lot smaller than a full kingdom or kingdoms, plural. But he knew that Jesus, if he approached Jesus, the son of almighty God, that he, met, he better make a big boast. He couldn't just say, well, I'm going to offer you this city. No, the kingdoms of the world. Here it is. Let's go to it. Matthew 4, 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to Jesus, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. 
See, this example of Jesus we can all learn from. Every single day, there are forces, there are people around us, there is the media, there are entertainment alleys, there are cell phones, there are all these things. And Satan is working to distract us and to get us misaligned to worship him and evil and darkness instead of God Almighty. Whether he's pitching greed or wealth, commercialism, extravagance, fame, popularity, jealousy, anger, strife, slander, libel, feelings of inadequacy, I'm not worthy. True, none of us are worthy. And that is why God is so good. See, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible says. We've all fallen short. None of us measure up. God alone is the standard, and God is holy and perfect and majestic. And he created everything. And he dwells outside of time. And he's bigger than anything that we could dream He is greater than anything that we could imagine. He's greater than the earth. He's greater than the universe. He's greater than the stars. He's greater than outer space. He's greater than gravitational force. He's greater than the sun and its heat and its rays and its magnificence and its life-giving properties. He is greater. And we have all sinned and fallen short of his standard. And the standard is perfection. And the standard is holiness and the standard is set-apartedness. That's what holiness means, to be holy, to be set apart for God. And we've fallen short. And that's why we need Jesus. Because Jesus, God's son, came to earth to die on a cross, bloody and gruesome and violent for us to take our sin and put it to death by nailing it to a cross. And then he rises victorious to live forever and to reign forever. You may be worried about this earth. You may be concerned about something you read in the news headlines. God is fully in control of all things at all times, folks. Do not think for one moment that God is not in control of all nations and all governments and all rulings and all judges and any power of earth because he is. Folks, he dwells outside of time. That's something we can't even conceive in our mind. He is not limited by time and space and land or air or water. So in all of this, Satan, the world, paganism, worldliness, worldly culture, social culture, all of the things they value, they're promoting this way, this way of life, this worldly life, to have all of these things which will burn, to be honest. They're not going to carry over from this life to the next, whether wealth or greed or materialism or fame. God does not promise any of these things. 
And he also does not promise them to anyone who follows him. And that just defeats a lot of false religions right there. In fact, instead of promoting these things to you to make you feel better or to be the better version of yourself, God commands you to put your personal desires, here we go, to death, to turn away, to submit, to surrender yourself to him. Listen to that language. Listen to what he commands. This is powerful. It's dynamic. You must turn away and surrender and submit your life to him. How many times did you hear that on the television tonight? How many times did you hear that promoted in the news today? How many times did you hear that in any podcast that you listen to? save for a biblical podcast, praise God. It's a complete 180, folks. It's a complete about face from the ways of the world and from the ways of Satan. Satan promises all this glamour, all this glitz, all this fame, all this popularity, all this wealth, all this money, just money, 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 money. What did, what did God say? What did Jesus say to the rich young ruler? The rich young ruler I believe, foolishly said that all of the commands he's kept since he was a little child, well, we're all sinners, so that I doubt that that specifically was the case. But then Jesus said what to him? Because he was very wealthy and Jesus knew his heart. Jesus said, go then and sell all of your possessions and give them to the poor and then come and follow me. And what did the rich young ruler do? He turned away from Jesus, and walked away because he was very wealthy. And that's all we know. So everyone's pursuing something. And it's really only one of two options. You're either pursuing God while putting your carnal desires to death. And yes, that's a process. And yes, by God's grace, his mercies are new every morning and we can pursue him in the life that Jesus gives. You're either pursuing God or you're pursuing Satan. And in the pursuit of Satan, you're probably pursuing selfishness, pursuing greed, pursuing revenge, pursuing sin, and pursuing death as you run away from God. There's a great divide, folks. And the only one who can bridge that gap is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, yes, the one who lived about 2,000 years ago. And it seems so long ago to us who have very short lifetimes and in the scope of history. But Jesus is right here, ready and waiting to come into your life and to change you forever if you would surrender your life to him. And God's love is better than anything else. The world may promote commercialism or promote this to make you feel better or this to inoculate or this this to satisfy your every need or this to, and that's why people go to sin because they want a temporary fix because they want the fast fix for what never fixes them. 
They want temporary or fleeting pleasure or, or a relief from pain. And that will not fix them. Guess what? That was all part of the design too. God knows that the only thing that can fix the human heart is God himself. But that's a two-way street. God has done all the work. God has sent his son and offered his son to be the savior of the world. But each individual human heart must respond to that offer. It's a two-way, a relationship is a two-way relationship. Or it's not a relationship. You may have heard God accoladed as the great artist or the one who paints the sky. And so there's one more aspect I want to call out from Genesis 1-2 in closing. The earth was without form and void. Or in other words, it was practically empty. Yes, it was there at first. And quote, the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. But otherwise, it was void. It was empty. Well, next week, we'll continue as that is all about to change when God continues his acts of creation by creating the earth to be a dwelling. Let's pray. Great and mighty God, creator God, loving God, generous God, eternal God who dwells outside of time, something my mind cannot fully understand. I don't know that I practically understand it because the human mind, as finite as we are now, all we have known is time. All we have known is a filled planet of Earth with mountains and oceans and animals and vegetation and humanity. We have not known what was before, and you know it all. And you know each one of us to our very core. There is nothing hidden from the Lord. You see the inside of every human heart. You see the inside of every human mind. There is nothing hidden from you, God. In the tension, in the world, facing the lies of Satan and worldliness and culture and false religions and materialism and all these things which promote something other than you. Lord, please, every single day by your Holy Spirit, give us clarity to see you, to embrace you, to champion you, to cling to you, and to know that only in you, we will have life. And only in you, we will have light. For you are the light of the world. I pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, the name above all names. Amen. Join me next time as we continue in God's story of creation in Genesis 1. <laughs>